Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Target Field in Minnesota. It's the Cleveland Guardians 2, the Minnesota Twins 1. The Guardians and Twins split the series uh, two games apiece. And uh, frankly, after losing the first two, the Guardians salvaged the weekend. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And boy, the big storyline in this one is Tristan McKenzie making his return to your Cleveland Guardians, and he did it in style. He was ready to go. Uh, Some of the quotes I liked uh, after the game, even some of the guys that faced him in AAA were like, that dude is ready to go. Like (laughs) These rehab starts, we get that we have to go through them, but get this guy to the major leagues. He is ready to pitch, and he did not disappoint. Uh, McKenzie's final line on the day. He only goes five innings. Uh, you know, they did hold him back a little bit. They held him to 79 pitches. Uh, he goes five innings, gives up one hit, no runs, one walk, 10 strikeouts. On those 79 pitches, he's only hard hit three times. So just absolutely cruising against the Minnesota Twins. Now, it was a Minnesota Twins lineup that lost a little bit of punch, right? There's some guys with injuries. There's some guys with illnesses. So, you know, they they don't have uh, uh, Carlos Correa. They don't have Joey Gallo. Uh, so they were a little thin offensively. But, uh, you know, still some good hitters in this lineup. Still not a weak lineup at all. And uh, he really went to work against them. Uh, everybody except Michael Taylor struck out on the day for Minnesota. Uh, Taylor is the only one who had a good day. He went three for three, including a double, including some stolen bases. Uh, Michael Taylor was giving it all from his, from the nine hole in the lineup. Uh, but he holds one through five hitless on the day. One through five in the Twins lineup. Now, not the normal one through five, but still one through five in the Twins lineup go hitless on the day. Uh, on the other side of things, Joe Ryan, uh, I'm going to talk more about Joe Ryan in a second. We're going to double back on Tristan McKenzie because he is the top storyline, but I just want to tee this up ahead of time. Joe Ryan pitched very well himself on the other side, but it might be a bit of an illusion. Like It's it's interesting. It's weird. So Joe Ryan goes six and a two-thirds. It's just, he does it in a different way. Gives up two hits, two earned runs, one walk. For strikeouts, that walk would cost him. That walk would be very costly. Uh, Only four strikeouts, and I think they came early. At least three out of the four came very early in the game. On 88 pitches, he's only hard hit four times. Now you're saying, Davey, that sounds like a really good line, but I'm going to dig into some numbers and some things that maybe it wasn't as good of a day for Joe Ryan as you think it was. Uh, I'll tell you the one... (laughs) The one thing that stood out, all the pop-ups. So many pop-outs, uh, which we're going to get into. But first, we're talking Tristan McKenzie and his 10 strikeouts. So what was McKenzie doing? Where was he throwing these pitches? Well, How was he so effective? Absolutely attacking the strike zone. Absolutely. With the four-seam fastball, with the elevated four-seam fastball, uh, some of them getting up around 94, 95 miles per hour. Actually, let's see. What was the, going over to this player breakdown, he maxed at 95.1 on his four-seam fastball. His minimum was 89.8, which is, that's a big spread there on the fastball. But, uh, yeah, his yearly average was uh, 
Well, he's is his first. I don't even know how he has a yearly average on here. Is that his career average? He's only pitched one game. How do you have a yearly average on there already? That's not matching his average for the day. Uh, so uh, he maxed out at 95.1. That's the thing that's important here. So going back to the illustrator, it's a lot of fastballs at the top of the zone. And then, frankly, he's still attacking with that curveball and that slider. He went with three pitches on the day. And uh, he threw the slider a little bit more to the arm side. Or Sorry, he threw the curveball a little bit more to the arm side of the plate. He threw the slider a little bit more to the glove side of the plate. Kind of what you would expect from the movement you know, that those pitches typically get. But, I mean, absolutely attacking the strike zone with those pitches. This wasn't a day where, you know, Shane Bieber, a lot of times when we see him pitch, there's this huge cluster of curveballs and sliders down and away. And uh, we weren't we're not seeing that from McKenzie here. He is in the strike zone with all of these pitches. And it's no surprise that his player breakdown page looks like this because he was just attacking and throwing strikes like crazy. Uh, so they end up with 15 whiffs on 37 swings. It's good for a 41% whiff rate. Add in 15 call strikes, mostly on the four-seam fastball and the curveball, only one on the slider. It's good for a 38% CSW total on the day. But don't discount that slider just because he wasn't getting called strikes on it. And he only threw it 14 times. But my God, six whiffs on seven swings. The one that wasn't a whiff, it was a foul ball. It's an 86% whiff rate on that pitch, on that slider. Clearly, only throwing it 14 times, he was choosing his spots when to use it. But he did get some strikeouts via the slider. So... Really interesting stuff there from Tristan McKenzie. And again, going back to the illustrator, uh, what pitches were actually getting the strikeouts? Uh, I've got three sliders to the glove side of the plate. He gets Kyle Farmer in the second swing through a slider, high slider. He gets Palacio, uh, Polanco, Jorge Polanco in the third inning, chasing a 2-2 slider down at the knees. And then he does get someone to expand the zone. Uh, Donovan Solano uh, in the first inning gets him to go wide and chase a 1-2 slider to end the first inning. Uh, Of these 10 strikeouts, only three, only three come from chasing pitches out of the strike zone. The one by Solano uh, in the fifth inning, he got Garlic to chase a uh, a 1-2 curveball. That was basically probably in the dirt. I'm guessing Cam Gallagher probably turned his glove over for that one. And then he got Ryan Jeffers to climb the ladder in the second inning on a 2-2 fastball. He got him to climb the ladder and chase a high fastball up there. I mean, way up at his shoulders, probably. And uh, I say probably because the, uh, the strike zone here is the generic strike zone for the game. Uh, Obviously, each hitter who comes up, it differs a little bit based on their height. Uh, but we're just looking on StatCast. We're just looking at the generic player with the generic strike zone here. Uh, what's more fun is there's a bunch of called strikes, especially on four-seam fastballs. Uh, he gets Ryan Jeffers right down the middle of the plate with a 93-mile-per-hour fastball in the fourth inning on a 2-2 count. Clearly not thinking fastball at all. And then he gets Willie Castro in the fifth inning on an 0-2 count, just moves him, mows him down with a fastball kind of at the thighs and just absolutely blows it by him. This one was at 94.6. And with McKenzie's extension that he gets off of the mound, you can only imagine how fast these balls appeared to be coming in. 
So that's what McKenzie was doing on the day. And man, it was fun to watch him carve up another team. It just, you root for the guy. He's so great in interviews. Uh, he's so great in his charitable work. You just root for Tristan McKenzie. Uh, and he, he seems to love playing here. So it's it's a nice it's a nice piece to add to add McKenzie's arm back. Uh, how did they do that? We will get to that at the end of the episode. We do have that off-field news to tackle of how McKenzie ended up back on the roster. So on the other side of things, um, you know, for Joe Ryan again, it looks good, but when you go to his actual player breakdown page, you start to question some things. So uh, he threw a ton of fastballs. He also throws a splitter uh, and then a sweeper, which he only threw five times. It was on 49 swings. It was only six whiffs. It's a 12% whiff rate for Joe Ryan. Uh, 16 called strikes. It's good for a 25% CSW. What helped him out is there were 26 foul balls. Uh, four fa- uh, 21 four-seam fastballs were fouled off, and 12 were put in play. That's wild. And they weren't even going, I mean, they weren't even chasing outside of the zone and swinging and missing. Uh, They were making contact even when they went outside the zone, uh, which they only did 30% of the time. They swung outside the zone and they made contact at a 70% rate. So even when they were going out there, they were still finding a way to make contact. Now, the thing that Ryan was having success with is we got to go back to the illustrator and we got to go to the radio because so many freaking pop-ups. So many pop-ups. It's unbelievable here uh, how many times the Guardians hitters. And, you know, some of them, some of them, it wasn't even just like a high pitch that they popped up. Some of them were, I remember specifically, I think it was Jose Ramirez's, uh, where it was low in the strike zone. And he still ended up popping this thing up. And you're thinking to yourself, how is that even possible? So, you know, the radial here shows me that sweet spot between 45 degrees and zero degrees where most of your base hits happen in that, unless you get a seeing eye grounder through the infield, uh, most of your hits are going to come in that zone. Well, the Guardians have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven balls above that 45 degree marker. Those are pop outs. Those are pop-ups. I'm sorry, man. It is that is brutal. That is wild stuff that Ryan is able to rack up that many uh, sky-high pop-ups. And you know he hasn't been doing it up until this season. Uh, his his underrate uh, getting guys to swing underneath the ball uh, is actually down a little bit from the last two years. Uh, his uh, pop-up rate is way down from 2022. He was a master at getting people to pop the ball up in 2022. Hasn't been the same this year. Goes from 15.2% of the time to only 7.6% of the time. So a significant drop right there. So, yeah. uh, We we actually kind of handled Joe Ryan. I know it didn't feel like that. There weren't that many base runners. But we were putting swings on the ball. We were putting the ball in play, clearly, um, because he wasn't getting those outs via the strikeout with only four of them. So we do eventually get to Joe Ryan. We eventually get to him for two runs. Let's go to those at-bats because it all starts with a walk. I love it. I love seeing, uh, uh, you know, even though he's our star hitter, right, I love seeing Jose Ramirez 
sacrifice himself a little bit here. Works a seven pitch at bat, but eventually lays off an inside fastball and draws that walk after fouling off two in a row. Um, so good job by Jose Ramirez. Uh, this is with two outs, and hey, you can get a rally going with two outs. Naylor would come up. He's starting with a splitter way off the plate, and then he'd try to come inside, middle into to uh, Josh Naylor, and that is never going to be a recipe for success. He crushes this thing, 95.2. Uh, let's see how many ballparks. Only an expected batting average of 0.90. That's actually surprising for me. Uh, let's see how many ballparks this would have been a home run in because it hits like the flower box out there and uh, 12 out of 30. Progressive Field on there? Yes, this would have been a home run at home at Progressive Field. So it hits off that flower box in right field and comes back onto the field of play. Uh, Jose Ramirez comes in to score, and Naylor has broken up the scoring drought. He started the scoring for the Guardians here in this seventh inning. And then Andres Jimenez follows it up with a triple at 101 miles per hour. That would have been a home run in 20 out of 30 ballparks. So a really great job by Andres Jimenez. Let's go to that matchup and see what pitch he was able to drive out there. This is off Fieldbar now. And man, Fieldbar is just asking for it. He gives him three fastballs in a row right down the middle. So he misses with the first two fastballs. All fastballs in this at bat. Doesn't go to another pitch. So two fastballs that miss low. Comes back, gets one over the plate for a called strike. Then throws two more darts. He swings through the first one, which it's right there. It's right down the middle. And instead of going to something off speed or working the edges a little bit, Thielbar throws him another one right down the middle. And this one he doesn't miss. He hits it high off the wall in right center field. He ends up with an RBI triple. And now we've given ourselves an insurance run, a 2-0 game heading into the final innings. They would make it interesting. They would hit a solo home run in the eighth inning. They'd have runners on in the eighth and the ninth. But uh, our bullpen does a good job. De Los Santos, uh, I I feel like it's my fault a little bit, right? It's my fault. I talked about him. I bragged about him. And then he gives up a home run like that, uh, especially to Willie Castro, uh, not typically known as a home run hitter. So uh, De Los Santos does give up a run, but he's able to clamp it down after that. And then Classe is able to come in and shut down a little rally attempt in the ninth inning with a strikeout, of course. So uh, it's a great job by the Guardians' bullpen, a day when they were pushed into a lot of service with the starter only going five innings. You know, it was at least scheduled to be that way, so at least you knew and you weren't ambushed by it as a bullpen. So uh, it's a good job all around there to get that W. Again, how the top and middle of their order did nothing on the day for Minnesota. It is nice to see the heart of our order, three, four, and five in our lineup, come through with big hits and driving in runs. It's 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 been a while, hasn't it? It's been a while since you've looked at the model, middle of the order and thought, yeah, yeah, these guys are finally getting something. Now, granted, they're not on base that often. I mean, they Naylor and Jimenez. That's their only hits of the game. Uh, Ramirez is only on base because of the walk here in the inning. So not lighting up the stab sheet, but knowing that the runs came from the middle of the lineup is a nice sign. So I believe that is all my thoughts on this one. MVP on the day has to go to Tristan McKenzie. I know uh, it's a little bit shorter episode, but I mean, it's a two to one ball game. I mean, we had three hits. They had five. There's only so much I can analyze. 
Uh, Tristan McKenzie, great job on the day. Those 10 strikeouts making your debut back. Uh, you take home MVP on the day. So uh, how did they make room to, uh, to maneuver all this? Well, uh, our friend Marlon from Birmingham, this is just his segment of the show now. I, th- I think he's earned it. Uh, he puts the work into his emails. Um, but they, uh, I'm not terribly surprised to see Plesek DFA. Yes, that's how they got McKenzie. And this is me jumping back in with my thoughts. That's how they got McKenzie back on the roster. So they took that young guy. They moved him back to AAA. They had an option on him. They knew exactly what they were doing with him. And then it was still, how do you create that spot on the roster? How do you create that spot on the 40-man roster that McKenzie needs to be added back to? So how do you make room on that roster? You, you DFA Plesak. I mean, after all somewhat long career uh he feels like he's been around for a while uh police future is up in the air marlin went on to talk about other teams he think that might he thinks that might be interested dodgers astros rays or brewers in particular who would they pass up on him like cleveland these teams are terrific at developing pitchers he isn't making much is only 28 years old and has a couple of years control remaining after this year yeah it's no no Nothing hidden that Major League Baseball executives always think that they could fix a guy that it's not going right in another organization, right? I'll bring him in here. Well, that raw stuff, we can get him going. Uh, I I think they would have their hands full with Plesak. He, I've said this before, but it felt like he was someone who always wanted to be an all-star pitcher, always wanted to be in that Cy Young conversation, but the talent just wasn't quite at that level like the commitment was like you could tell he really was trying hard out on that mound he was giving it his all but uh apparently home run balls have been beating him up all year and it hasn't stopped in columbus i have i haven't looked up police x numbers yet but that's just the rumors i'm hearing so yeah it would be kind of a reclamation project if another team were to bring him in and to bring him on it's uh It'll be interesting to see what happens or if he clears and can continue to pitch here at AAA level. Um, they got some stuff. Someone's, someone's got some stuff to work on when it comes to Plesak. Like, it's not going to be easy for a team in playoff contention to just pluck them up and be like, all right, this guy's our new number five starter. Let's roll. Uh, you're not going to be happy with the results. So uh, Marlon went on to say, I'm glad to see Nick Enright back and hope he's doing better. I'm shocked the Marlins gave up on him, though. He has a good track record around the minor leagues, uh, comes from a solid organization as far as pitching development, and isn't making much money. Uh, he said the Miami's good start seems like fool's gold uh, with the Mets and Phillies looming. So thank you, Marlon, for the email. And, yeah, thank you for reminding me about Nick Enright. Uh, you know, some of these minor league Rule 5 draft picks uh, slip your mind pretty pretty quickly. But Enright, uh, it was better in Cleveland than it was, you know, in the uh, Miami organization. Uh, I mean, in Cleveland last year, he was 5-1 and one with a 288 ERA, 11 saves and 15 opportunities. Uh, he uh, walked 14 but struck out 87. And only had a 203 betting average against with a 0.96 whip. So you can see this guy was a, a fairly reliable reliever for us. Uh, and probably on the cusp of coming up. That's why Miami went on and got him. Uh, but it just, his numbers dip a little bit once he gets there. Uh, and he's pitching in the minor leagues there. Uh, 
So yeah, so his numbers did dip a little bit, and I don't know the exact situation, but Enright has been offered back to us, and we took him and assigned him to Columbus Clippers. So it'll be interesting to see if Nick Enright is someone who pushes for a bullpen roll late in the season when you're just desperate to find an arm. So uh, that is a bit of good news. So it's good news all around. The Guardians win. We got a young prospect back, uh, and we all learned a little bit something today about uh, Joe Ryan and uh, giving up pop-ups and things like that. So uh, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Target Field. It's the Guardians 2, the Twins 1. I believe we're off on Monday and start the series on Tuesday, which means you won't hear from me again until Wednesday morning. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.